0: Welcome, friends. You're listening to Conversations with Consequences. We are the weekly radio show and podcast of the Catholic Association, where you get witty and charming conversation about the topics that matter to you with the leading thinkers of our time. If you're listening on the radio, you're listening to uh, at 11 a.m. on Fridays on the Guadalupe Radio Network. And if not, you're listening for free wherever you get your podcasts. Be sure to subscribe at thecatholicassociation.org slash podcasts or on whatever app you use to listen. And today, I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie, and I'm joined by my good friend and legal advisor of the Catholic Association, Andrea Picciotti-Bayer. Hello, Andrea. Hi, Gracie. It's so great to be reconnected with you. We connect a lot, you know, during the day, but not usually on the air. So this is a lot of fun. And today, uh, I'm in Miami and Andrea's in D.C., and um, we also have a friend in studio today. We have a really nice topic for Advent. We are recording the show during Advent, actually on the day of Our Lady of Guadalupe, which is a very big day all over the Americas. Here in Miami, it's a huge day. I just came from my second Mass of the day. I had to go back to Mass because they, were, they brought
1: mariachis to sing to Our Lady, and I couldn't miss it. Here in D.C., we were all, all uh, buttoned up. We had no mariachis. But there you were had no mariachis? Be- no, but we had my mari- <laughs> so of my girls were singing beautifully in the children's choir of our parish school for the all school mass and it was delightful. But I definitely miss the loudness of the celebration of the Americas. And oh. and it's very good to remember that our lady is a patroness of all the Americas. Of course. Not just limited to Mexico or South America, but North America as well. And she's completamente guapa. guapa. She's
0: yeah, and she, she sparked, with, with her apparition when she came to the Americas, she sparked the conversion of our whole land to a land for Christ. And, um, and she very specifically came to an indigenous man, San Juan Diego, and told him that she was his mother and that he had nothing to fear, that she would keep him under her mantle. And that is something that 500, over 500 years later still resounds in the hearts of all those who know Our Lady of Guadalupe.
1: Well, and what a great reminder of Our Lady's maternity and her motherhood and her protection of all of us, her children. And it's a perfect segue to what we're going to be speaking about today um, and really understanding and elevating our support and encouragement of women, especially mothers and their children.
0: And today uh, we have a very special guest. Her name is Michelle Burke Bow, and she is president of the Holy Family Hospital of Bethlehem Foundation. And she's going to tell us about this hospital in Bethlehem, um, in Israel, or yeah, in Israel, and um, and what wonderful work it's doing with uh, with uh, women and babies. Um, they have a neonatal ICU there. We're going to hear about that. Um, and again, it's, we wanted to do this show before Christmas, in the Advent season, because uh, very much during Advent, we're very focused on the humanity of our Lord and his mother and, and St. Joseph, the, you know, the difficulties they encountered, the way that God accepted that uh, extreme poverty of, uh, of being born in Bethlehem the way he was born in Bethlehem. And uh, that insecurity, the, the darkness, the cold, um, the hunger, probably, the fatigue, and how he takes all that on his shoulders for us, and and he doesn't despise doesn't despise the poor of the earth.
1: Well, and it's also a great reminder too of the hope and the expectations, right? Anyone that's um, awaited the arrival of a baby, right, Mike, our producer, who just had his first come into the family. Um, Three months old now gorgeous. She's just gorgeous. But it's it's there's so much expectations and so much support that um, we can give to these beautiful little families that are, are awaiting a new uh, gift from God. So with that, let's bring on our guest, Michelle Burke-Beau, who
0: again is the president of the Holy Family Hospital of Bethlehem Foundation. Welcome, Michelle.
2: Thank you. I'm delighted to be here with you. It's my uh, favorite month of the year, and I'm, I'm just filled with such joy. Of course, I love talking about the Holy Family and about our hospital in Palestine and the good news that just keeps coming from Bethlehem.
0: And I was, I was reading about the hospital, Michelle, and it caught my attention that there, I've been to Bethlehem, actually. I was there, I think it was almost, it was a little over three years ago. I'm totally and,
1: jealous of that.
0: And it's a very, it's a poor place. It's, it's not a place of opulence by, by any means. Um, And I was reading about your hospital that it's a teaching hospital, um, and it has a state-of-the-art maternity and neonatal critical care center, and it serves poor and at-risk women, infants, and children throughout the West Bank. And uh, it's really a unique place, Michelle.
2: You know, just like the Blessed Mother and St. Joseph traveled to Bethlehem to deliver the Christ child, people come from all over the region to come and deliver their babies and to seek health care. the different part is our doors are always open, and the poor Holy family went from place to place like a posada, and they couldn't <laughs> find room at the inn. And so our goal is always to open our doors a little wider hmm. to be able to serve everyone who's in need in the region, whether it be a pregnant mother with a risky pregnancy or a, um, a premature or sick baby. Or even if it's a mother beyond the childbearing ages, we have a special clinic that we call the Well Women Clinic, which is sort of euphemistic for the um, menopause clinic, where we take care of women after their childbearing years. We offer them cancer screenings and general health care, which was a sector of the population that hadn't received health care. Most of the women who were coming to bring their daughters for maternity care they themselves hadn't been to the doctors since the last time they delivered a child. Well, Michelle, that's not unique
1: <laughs> to to the region. I, I know um, we get so busy as moms that when we're carrying a child, we're very attentive to keeping up with those obstetrician appointments and, and then becomes the pediatrician appointments. And we oftentimes forget about ourselves and the importance of our own health for the sake of not only caring for ourselves, but also for our family. So that's What a great, wonderful
2: um, extension of services. It's beautiful. It reminds me a little bit of St. Anne, who um, was really so quiet, and we didn't see her mentioned in the Bible, but we do know that she was the grandmother of the Christ child, Mm -hmm. and she was there to look after Mary, um, I'm sure forgetful of her own needs. (laughs) And um, I just like to think of it as an extension of that when we go out into the desert with our mobile clinic to take care of the women of the desert who can't come to the hospital. And when we take care of the women who live in the town of Bethlehem, who just haven't um, either had the means, or the um, the time, or even just the um, habit of going to the doctor um, after they're finished having babies.
0: Is our healthcare needs going unmet in general in that region, Michelle?
2: You know, it's a region that's getting poorer um, by the day. Really, um, the occupation is difficult. Um, Bethlehem has the highest unemployment rate and the highest rates of poverty. In Palestine, outside of Gaza, so it's really it's a somewhat it's it's a very joyful place and it's so peaceful. But there there's a a desperation to it. Um, But I do think that it is the most stable government in Palestine because it is the place where Jesus was born. It's a place that has the highest number of Christians. It's the sort of the middle of Palestine, where it connects the north and the south. It's the major checkpoint into Jerusalem. And I think that um, institutions like Holy Family Hospital, with its 172 employees, keep the region very stable economically and therefore politically. So it's a real blessing, not just for health care, but for providing hope through employment.
1: Michelle, The Holy Family Hospital is a Catholic-run hospital or
2: Catholic. It's a Catholic hospital, a Catholic teaching hospital. But you mentioned
1: um, having the doors open and making sure that they're opened as wide as possible and opening them up even wider. Um, In addition to the services that are offered to women of different ages, is it a, a place where women of different faiths? Are coming from the region? Absolutely. Um,
2: Women of different faith come as employees. We have um, Christian women, doctors, nurses, midwives, cleaners. We have um, Muslim women working at the hospital in that same capacity. And our patients um, just come through the doors, Muslim and Christian. And the good news though, this hospital is very special because the gift of life is brought to you really through the three great Abrahamic faiths. When we have a baby with a, an emergency need for maybe a brain or a heart surgery, we can send that baby to Jerusalem, hmm. to a um, Israeli hospital, and that baby can be taken care of there. So I'm very proud to say that, you know, in the, uh, the cradle where Jesus was born, everyone comes together to support the life of a child. It's That's beautiful.
0: That's lovely, Michelle. Tell us how this hospital got started.
2: Well, it got started um, in the 1880s. It was a work of the Daughters of Charity. It was a general hospital. Um, God bless the Daughters of Charity. They mm-hmm. really are there at the forefront of everything. Mm-hmm. I just I just love them. <laughs> and um, around 1984 or so, the daughters um, could no longer run the hospital by themselves. They didn't have as many of them. There were lots of needs that the hospital had in, in terms of infrastructure. And so... Good sisters do what good sisters always do in times of need. They picked up the phone, Hmm. and they called the Holy Father. Darn right. (laughs) And they said, please, we need some help. We can't run this hospital, but we don't want to lose this Christian presence. Mm -hmm. It's It's a big, beautiful building there, right, in the heart of Bethlehem. And the Holy Father didn't take a breath. He just said, be not afraid, as he'd said. <laughs> the Order of Malta will do it. And his, This
1: was this was John Paul II? This was John
2: Paul II, and Wonderful. he called the Order of Malta and said, you know, I have this hospital in Bethlehem that I need you to run, and of course the order um You is, never
1: turned down the Holy Father. No, no, not at
2: all. And so the answer was, yes, comma, but let's do a study and see really mm. what the needs of the community are. So they worked with the... Um, Regional officials and whatnot. And what they decided was, the town of Bethlehem, healthwise and sort of spiritually, needed an infant and maternity hospital. So Wonderful. we we worked together and um, so
0: before that it was a general hospital for all comers
2: for for everyone. It, it did deliver mm-hmm. some babies, but it just did the whole gamut. And um, you know, since that hospital was opened, a few others opened, and really what they needed was this specialty hospital. Mm-hmm. And so his next phone call was to the dear Cardinal of Washington, D.C., in those days, it was Cardinal Hickey. Mm -hmm. God rest his soul. And the Holy Father said to Cardinal Hickey, can you please go to Bethlehem and take a look? And so he flew out to Bethlehem with his then um, priest secretary, Father Barry Nestout, who's now the Bishop of Richmond. Hmm. And they had a very quick 36-hour trip, and they fell in love. And Cardinal Hickey spent the next three years while he was the Cardinal of Washington flying around the United States spreading the good news of Bethlehem hmm. and also asking people for donations Wonderful. to be able to um, turn this hospital into an infinite maternity hospital. So I
0: imagine the, the word Bethlehem is uh, magic. When you are asking for donations for a baby hospital, right? It's you know, it just <laughs> sings to
2: everybody's heart. Yeah. It's just such a, um, just such a beautiful place. You know, when you walk in through the checkpoint, the checkpoint itself is militarized and um, it, it's not entirely pleasant. But once you step into Bethlehem, it's really you can feel the presence of King David, hmm. the three kings, the Holy Family. Um, the Holy Innocence, I mean, it's really, it's just such a um, a spiritually powerful place.
1: Michelle, you'll have to forgive my ignorance, but did the Order of Malta have experience running hospitals before yeah. this
2: request came? Absolutely. And that's why the Pope called us. The Order of Malta has been running hospitals for nine hundred over 900 years. Ha. So, Michelle, why so don't you knew, stop there and why doing. don't
0: you go back a little and tell us about the Order of Malta now, well, the you know, history the, of the Order.
2: The Order of Malta began in Jerusalem, where there was a serving brother whose name was uh, Fra Gerard. He's Blessed Fra Gerard. And he was taking care of the Muslims, Christians, and Jews in a hospital in the Moristan um, area of Jerusalem. And if you've been there, it's in the Old City, just around mm-hmm. the corner from the Church of the Holy Sepulchre. He um, at the height of this hospital, there were a thousand beds for men, and on the other side of the street, a thousand beds for women.
1: Amazing!
2: Mm-hmm. And the rule—it was beautiful. The rule of the order was that they were served by the knights of noble families from Europe who had come to the Holy Land to serve and to make pilgrimage, and the serving sisters served the women. The patients were served on silver salvers because silver is antimicrobial, hmm. and they were served first. And they got white bread because white bread, um, I know we issue it today because it's not so healthy, but it's easier on your teeth and easier on your stomach. Yeah, yeah and for so, sure. For patients and everything else. Going yeah, through, and, and Michelle,
0: was it, was it, uh, it intended, prim- when it was first built, the hospital for pilgrims who were making that pilgrimage to Jerusalem?
2: It was actually built Um, before or began before the um, big pilgrimages started, before the Crusades and whatnot. And so it was just there to serve the population. And, you know, if you recall, those were in the dark ages of Europe. But um, in the Middle East, it was the days of um, Ibn Sina or Avicenna, where they had advanced medicine. And the- But no um,
0: hospitals. (laughs) <laughs> they don't do hospitals. They do medicine, right?
2: They do medicine, but, but um, also hospitals. hospitals. And, you know, the Order of Malta had a um, medical school on the island in Malta, um, and the first woman graduated in the year 1772. Ah, wow. Yeah, so the Order Super. of Malta has been at the forefront <laughs> yes, definitely. of taking care of people um, medically but also providing great opportunities for women. No, that's wonderful.
1: And you uh, hold a very interesting position uh, for the older Order as ambassador to Palestine. Is that just by virtue of your connection with the hospital, or do you go um, beyond that in your work as uh, ambassador? I
2: serve as an ambassador, as a diplomat of the order with a diplomatic passport from the order. And my role as an ambassador is to um, make sure that we have clear lines of communications between the order, the government of the Order of Malta, which is seated in Rome, and the government of Palestine. And
1: has that been a challenge in, in since you've you've been uh, ambassador, or has that been something that you know, building bridges between the two groups? Well,
2: You know, the bridges are quite easy to build because um, Palestinians are such warm and hospitable yeah, people, absolutely. and their um, their diplomatic corps is absolutely wonderful. Um, their government has been so warm and receptive. So we really have to um, do two things: we have to be better at reaching out to people all around the world to help support this hospital. And we have to be clever in figuring out how do we run a hospital that delivers 4,700 babies a year. 4,700. On a tiny budget, <laughs> a tiny budget. It's and do you have a
0: special? Do you have a special care for the Christians of Israel?
2: Um, well, we don't have diplomatic relations with Israel. Um, I know we've been hoping to, but um, as of yet, those relations have not opened. So we are Oh, I guess I mean the
0: ones in Bethlehem.
2: On Palestine. Um, yeah. We have a special relationship with everybody in Palestine, with the babies, the <laughs> mm-hmm. old people, um, the Bedouin, the Muslims, the Christians. And our hospital has its doors open widely to employ as many of them as possible and to keep our doors very widely open For the mothers and babies of Bethlehem and beyond. Well, it's it's so much a part of the
1: human condition that people. I just think about when I've had children, the people and the places and the hospitals that I've been in um, when my children were born have a special place in my heart.
2: I agree. I still remember the beautiful night nurse um, when our first child was born at Columbia Hospital for Women, and she had this lovely Jamaican accent. (laughs) And um, to this day, I'm so grateful for. Her. She just no, took such good of and it's, and it's part of, of your history. It's part it of is. your family history yeah. and it's your child's story. history, it's right? It's our story. And we have nurses like that, and doctors, and midwives at the hospital. They are so warm and just so wonderful. When um, I go over there about once a month, and um, you know, if I pass by a little uh, workstation where they're sharing a little um, lunch or a snack, they always invite me and share what they have. And hmm. they're just such generous and hospitable people. I think people called to the medical profession has have a a goodness of spirit.
1: A it's very a true large heart, it's Gracie a, included.
2: It's a vo, it's a vocation. <laughs> I'm a radiologist. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have a great radiologist at the um, hospital. He works um, mostly up in the NICU because that's where we're doing most of our radiology. Oh,
0: that radiology is very specialized.
2: Yes, and we're so blessed to have a beautiful um, digital um, X-ray machine. That I'm so grateful to our donors for having donated it to us oh, yes, because those are
0: very expensive.
2: They're very expensive, but they deliver a lot less radiology or um, uh, um, raised to the Ray, children yeah. so it's safer. Radiation. Yes, and the other thing is um, the images are instant and so. You can doc- make
1: quick decisions if you need to.
2: And they can share them. You know, doctors mm-hmm. who are in Bethlehem behind the wall don't have as much flexibility of sharing things, and so because of this digital world, ah. they can email them to somebody in Washington, D.C., or Jerusalem, or Louvain, or Paris and get a second or third opinion. So it's really, great. our community has been enlarged by the uh, digital network in the world.
0: Well, Michelle, we have to take a very short break, but we're going to come back on Conversations with Consequences and talking about the Holy Family Hospital in Bethlehem. Welcome back, friends. You are listening to Conversations with Consequences. This is the podcast and radio show of the Catholic Association. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie, joined today by my colleague at the Catholic Association, Andrea Picciotti-Bayer, our legal eagle, and also by a special guest, Michelle Burke-Bow, who is president of the Holy Family Hospital of Bethlehem Foundation. And she's telling us fascinating stories about this hospital in Bethlehem which uh, is dedicated to the women and babies of the area. They have a neonatal intensive care unit, um, which is a very special thing to have in that part of the world, it's the only one. And it delivers, I think, over 4,000, there are over 4,000 deliveries at this hospital every year. Is that true, Michelle?
2: I think we'll reach 4,700 by the end of the year. Beautiful.
0: (laughs) What a wonderful resource for the families of of that area.
2: It's beautiful. And, And, you know, the nice thing is, is we deliver all of the high risk babies, any mother who has diabetes or um, multiple births or any kind of complications has to come to our hospital because we have this NICU where we can take care of these really fragile and premature Mm. babies. We we probably deliver 40 babies a year that weigh under two pounds and probably Mm. 20 who are just at or about one pound, micro preemies. M- Michelle, my first was
1: uh, a thirty-week preemie, oh, tiny little nugget, yes. beautiful. He was ended up being a feeder and a grower, so he just. Uh, but he did have some early um, medical interventions, and there was a lot of uh, effort trying to keep him in in the oven. But he's super headstrong, and uh, wouldn't have any of that. At the end, uh, when he was released, I remember I would get these floods of um, bills, oh. and fortunately, I had super great um, federal government uh, health insurance. But you'd see the cost, and the cost was uh,
2: mind blowing,
1: and, and not ast- just because it was in the U.S. No,
2: it's astronomical. But you know, it's interesting. Our hospital runs on a budget of about five million U.S. dollars a year. Huh. We're, we're delivering, you know, forty-seven hundred babies taking care of over 440 babies in the intensive care unit, delivering 40,000 services, running a mobile clinic out to the desert and isolated villages. But the the best news is, you know, we we talked a little earlier about how, you know, Bethlehem is a poor region and it's Mm -hmm. becoming more poor. And our hospital is committed to treating everybody without regard to need or creed. So when a woman walks in the door or a baby, they automatically have a subsidy of 50% thanks to our donors at Holy Family Hospital Foundation in Washington, D.C. Parishes across the nation, um, just interested people support us. And so those mothers know that they have that 50%. And some families are even poor. You know, the families in the desert, they don't have running water. Hmm. They don't have electricity and they don't have heat. They are really poor. Well, I imagine
1: a lot of people who wouldn't know of that subsidy may stay home or, you know, not seek medical care. Just thinking about, like, gosh, we don't have enough money to cover this.
2: But the word of mouth is just how news spreads in the Holy Land. It's just like when um, the three kings went a different way because (laughs) they didn't want to share that news. When the shepherds went up and climbed up to the hill and saw the Christ child— they went back and they told everybody. <laughs> so at Holy Family Hospital, everybody tells everyone knows everybody. Everyone. <laughs> and so the women who are um, especially poor can talk to our social workers, where they can get a sliding scale that goes you know between you know forty nine percent all the way down to nothing because some some people just don't even live on the cash economy. They have animals and yeah. they're really subsistence. Mm-hmm. So everyone is taken care of. Um, I can't tell you the number of babies that I know who have spent four, five, and six months in the hospital, and, and oh. a family could never pay for that, mm. and so we write, write most of it off. Um, sometimes, if it's a refugee, we'll get a little bit of money from the UN, from UNRWA, um, and we have families that come, and they bring us, you know, a 100 shekels, you know, $25 a month, or they'll bring us... Um, baskets of sweets or mint or just what they they have they give from their want and they're so thankful um, for their children's health and it's a very child-oriented society nobody leaves their babysitters home or their children at home with babysitters at night children come to weddings funerals baptisms dates you name it the kids are (laughs) always there (laughs) You
0: mentioned when we were talking off the air Michelle, you mentioned that at your hus- at this hospital, the babies, no matter what, how old they are or how big they are when they're born, they're always resuscitated. Is that so?
2: You know, yes. Um, in Palestine, the age of viability is 26 weeks, and that means that you're not legally— That's very high. It is, um, considering, you know, it's a middle-income country. But at 26 weeks, um, that's when you're legally obligated to care for the child— well, we're a Catholic hospital, mm-hmm. and we are just so motivated to preserve and protect and esteem life that, um, you know, we've had babies that are, you know, 23 weeks and five days Aww. that have survived so beautifully. And it's, it's kind of interesting. I was driving with a doctor friend once up to Baltimore, and we were talking about um, the statistics at the hospital. And he looked at me and he said, you know, Michelle, if I didn't know you, I wouldn't believe your statistics. He hmm. said, you need to get a miracle documenter in there to document these statistics. These children do so well. Mm-hmm. We have not lost a mother since 2015. Oh, wonderful. It's a miracle. But, you know, the top of our <laughs> chapel has a 16-foot statue of Our Lady. Yeah, she's... <laughs> yeah, and it's the miraculous you me a picture. medal. <laughs> yeah. And she looks right into the NICU. Her face goes right oh. into the second window of the NICU, and she takes such good care of those babies. And I just think that you know, given, you know, that we're 1,500 footsteps from the hospital to the manger where Jesus was born, that we just have a very special protection from Our Lady, who takes care of these mothers and babies, takes beautiful care of our staff, and I think she also takes really good care of our foundation in Washington Mm -hmm. by helping us find donors when we most need them. Well, I think she also found a really solid president. (laughs) Michelle, can you repeat what you said about the fifteen hundred steps? It's one thousand five hundred steps, if you're like me, about five foot four and a half inches from the front door of our hospital right to the star that marks the very place where Jesus was born. Now, oh,
0: amazing. It's
2: so beautiful. And in the Holy Land, there's lots of places where um, archaeologists and you know, I don't know historians say, well, this miracle happened right about. In this area, but where Jesus was born, we know exactly where it is because hmm. Bethlehem was always populated, and everyone knew that's where baby Jesus was born. Nobody forgot. Wow. Nobody could forget. How could you forget? Yeah. What? What? Uh, I mean, what the heavens bursting with song and the angels and the glory. I mean, there there was never such an amazing thing happened in their mm-hmm. whole history, and nobody forgot. So right, exactly to the spot. Was where Jesus was born, and um, that proximity just gives us such a blessing at Holy Family Hospital.
0: When I visited Bethlehem three years ago, I was so overwhelmed by the thought that I was in just there, right where <laughs> where this miracle had happened, and and our Savior had come to us. And it must be wonderful to work there and, and to be able to be there more.
2: I'm so but blessed I, you know, to go, and you know, sometimes I go and I'm in. I try to go to the Grotto every day, um, where Jesus was born, um, for five. 5 o'clock a.m. mass or 5.30 in the summer. 5 Goodness. It, but how can you Incredible resist? You how can you resist? <laughs> and every once in a while I'll go in in the afternoon, you know, when the crowds are kind of quiet and um, just pray a little bit. And I see Muslim women there with their headscarves praying. And I can just tell by their affect and their age. They're praying to be married or they're praying for babies. And occasionally... And they know there's a place, a
1: special place there. Yes.
2: They know the Blessed Mother takes care of everyone. Yeah. And I see older people, and sometimes they remind me of Simeon and Anna, hmm. that their whole lives they've saved up, or somebody maybe helped them to go to the Holy Land, and it's, it's their life's dream. And now that they've seen the place where the Lord was born, they're finished.
1: They can rest. Yes. It's so beautiful. You mentioned um, caring for the children and the mothers, and one of the things I, I contemplate a lot at this time is Our Lady and her strength, and that she had great St. Joseph by her side and the shepherds, but there weren't enough supports as, as she should have had, um, and any woman should have when, when about to uh, bring life about. And I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about the supports that your hospital gives to new mothers, especially new mothers who are coming from, you know, difficulties or without yeah. the kind of normal family
2: supports that... Well, in Palestine, the family structure is very much intact. Beautiful. <laughs> Fathers are omnipresent, um, and I see so many of them that look exactly like St. Joseph. <laughs> it's really just disarming. <laughs> Um, but our our nurses and our midwives, they teach the mothers to um, breastfeed the babies. The babies stay in the rooms with their mothers um, as much as possible.
1: Nice.
2: Um, every woman who leaves with her baby, um, I notice the nurses at the station take their cell phone numbers, and they call them every day, maybe for a week.
0: Oh, so asking, they're not alone.
2: No, but also they're not alone. I mean, You should see the visiting hours at the hospital. It's like <laughs> kind a of like c- Miami. Circus. Yeah.
0: <laughs> there are, It is I don't so. Think my, full. I don't think Cubans are that different. <laughs> no, Cubans and
2: Palestinians, they're people of the heart. And the corridors are full of um, young children and um, grandparents. And it's such a festive occasion. And I probably gain a couple of pounds each time because... All the stuff brought. Oh, yeah. They, oh, <laughs> they bring chocolates, and it's rude not to take them. And so um, sometimes I just put them in my pocket, but I always wind up eating them. Or oh, you can't put chocolate in your pocket. No, I know. But <laughs> the other thing that's so interesting is um, about a year ago, I saw this one little boy who looked to be about four years old in his mother's room, and um, the room was pretty full with relatives. And the obstetrician came in to give the mother, you know, a few pointers and ask about a few things. And the little boy was watching pretty intently, and then a nurse walked into the room. Well, the nurse, the obstetrician, was a woman, and the nurse who came in was a man. And I could see the little boy trying to figure out who the nurse was, and I said to the nurse, go ahead and introduce yourself to this little guy and tell him what you do. And the little boy's eyes got round as saucers, and, um, and I said to him, you know, if you're a good student and you study hard, you could grow up to be a doctor. Or you could be a nurse, or you could marry a doctor, or you could marry a nurse. So we're sort of quietly um, showing people through education you can change your destiny. That you don't always have to stay in the exact gender roles. And um, you know, our hospital has such great opportunities for women. Our um, just past head of medicine, chief of medicine, is a woman. The head of our NICU is a woman. Um, and is
1: that is that kind of Countercultural in in Palestine. As far as
2: options, professional options Uh, for young women. Absolutely. I mean, it's it's a traditional society, but it's also a society that really values education. So, um, you know, the education. But are your doctors
0: are your doctors from the area, Michelle, or are they from around different parts of the world?
2: No, we have one hundred and seventy two employees, and they're all Palestinian,
0: Hmm. including the
2: physicians. Of course a neonatologist, everyone. And that's really important to us because if we just were to come and bring people from around the world, it would be, you know, edifying and wonderful for them. But we wouldn't be developing the Palestinian economy. And, you know, the Palestinians have been educated people for centuries. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, the the doctors are just top quality. Um, They've had to do some of their extended training abroad just because of the way the medical situation is set up. So we have... um, um, one of the neonatologists, who, if you were to speak to him, you'd think he came from New York because he has a New York accent <laughs> He studied at Syracuse. But we are um, we don't take volunteers because we don't want to displace employment. Um, some of our employees at the hospital support as many as fifteen family members. So I'm it's sure. really oh, wow. crucial to provide that employment. And um, you're a
0: teaching hospital, so that means you have residents we do. who we are have, training there?
2: Yes, we have um, residents in obstetrics, um, gynecology, and pediatrics. So at, at any given time, we probably have about 13 residents um, in the combined program. Um, but we also then have maybe 25 additional people at the hospital, um, either nurses in training or midwives in training, Um, we have, uh, students from Bethlehem University, where we work very closely, who are doing internships in our administration offices. So we're constantly trying to teach, um, any medical visit, half of the visit is spent on teaching. We're teaching the mothers how to take care of the children, how to take care of themselves. And we're teaching, you know, everybody from somebody who's doing a little communications internship, um, to someone who's doing a, um, um, a residency in uh, pediatrics or neonatology. Michelle, um,
1: you mentioned earlier, I think in the first segment, about the, the second and third opinions that are made possible because of the digital yes. uh, uh, ultrasound or X-ray or radiology work that you have, especially in the NICU. Do you have kind of this support system beyond Palestine, and and how, if there are medical professionals that are there? able to lend their support and
2: expertise to be able. Uh, Absolutely. You You know, since um, Bethlehem is surrounded by a wall, um, we have had to um, be really careful to um, come up with ways to do continuing medical education. So we will bring in an international group of medical professionals, um, professors, to do a teaching stint. And we have what we call scientific days, Hmm. where we'll have um, eight sort of lectures, classes during the day, and we'll invite not just our hospital, because we're generous, we invite the entire West Bank to come and listen to whatever the topics of the day are. And what's so interesting, I was at one, and one of the students was sort of whispering to another, and I said, oh, what's going on? And she said... Look, it's Dr. Arduini. He wrote my textbook. Huh. And he was a very famous doctor from Superstar. Italy. yes Wonderful. Yeah, and so we really try to bring in the best and the brightest yeah. because um, most Palestinians don't have the right to travel freely. And so we bring the education to them. And so that day she left. With a very special card in her pocket, mm. which was the business card of Doctor Arduini. that's wonderful. And so now, if she has a um, question, she can um, send him lab results or send him a uh, an image, and um, it opens the the community to the whole world.
0: Does the hospital have a, a enjoy a really good reputation?
2: Oh yeah, the hospital is just so well known. It's um, I can't go anywhere without. Um, being stopped in the streets and people thanking us for the hospital. It's really um to work there just gives people so much um stature in the community because it's such a highly regarded hospital. And um women will pass a number of hospitals to get to Holy Family mm-hmm. Hospital. One woman I met um, called it a little too short, and she passed two hospitals and delivered her baby in the car, oh, trying to get to Holy Family
1: <laughs> Almost there.
2: I know. Luckily, her Hold mother on. her mother was a nurse, so her mother was able to um, deliver the babies, and I said, oh, well, did you make your father-in-law and husband leave the car? And she said, absolutely. Her mother, <laughs> her mother delivered the baby, and then they came to Holy and Family then they Hospital. Came. Absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> took care, and everything was, was uh, good, thank God, and I asked Wonderful. her, will you come next time this was her second child, I said, will you deliver your next child at Holy Family Hospital? She said, absolutely. All good mothers go to Holy Family Hospital. And I'll leave a little earlier. Yeah, Yeah, don't delay.
0: Birth rates rates are not anemic in in that area, right? The way they are here?
2: No, people love to have babies. Um, You know, there's just not that same um, fear of um, you know, this more trust. Just,
1: responsibility.
2: Yeah, or just I mean, it, they just they just welcome babies. One family um, that I was with, they were just celebrating with such great joy the birth of their, I think it was their sixth child, and he was a little boy who was born with a lot of health complications, but they had five daughters and so they were just so oh. overjoyed to have a son. Um, and one of his um, complications was um, lung issues and heart issues, and he had Down syndrome and he stayed at our hospital until he was stabilized and then he just needed some um, children's hospital type care. So he went to the um, children's hospital and I went over there to visit him and see how he mm, was doing. And, nice. um, and the family, they just didn't skip a beat. They were just um, not fazed by the fact that this child was going to have to have a lot of medical intervention in his first few years of life. They just celebrated life. Yeah. And here we always say, well, you know, let's celebrate a healthy baby. In Palestine, they just and say,
0: wantedness right? A wanted yes, baby. Let's
2: celebrate a baby. Yeah, everybody oh. loves babies. It's really, it's just such a um, a family and child-oriented place. It's um, and my favorite thing is, is, you know, I'm not a medical professional, and so I'm very careful about not intervening and not touching or anything. But every once in a while, a very nice mother on her way out the door will look at me and say. Would you like to hold of my course. baby? <laughs> I was going to say how many babies do you get to carry? Oh, and it's just it's the best thing. It's probably telegraphed to my forehead. I probably have a sign that says, "Would you let me hold, I would your, love baby? To hold your baby?" <laughs> and so I just hold these little sweet bundles oh, of sweet. joy and it's just we have 5 children, but they're uh, our youngest is now 18, our oldest is in his 30s. So um, and we don't have any grandchildren yet, so holding a baby to me is just such a great joy. Michelle, if people want to support
1: financially what you're doing there, because it seems like there's a something you mentioned before, there's something miraculous going on, something very, very special. Yeah. It, um, how, how can they make the contributions? What, what's the most important need that you have right well, now? Well, the
2: most important need really would be to go to our website, which is birthplaceofhope.org. That is birthplaceofhope.org. And um, go to the donation um, button and click on, there's various levels of donation. But any, any amount is just um, so welcomed. And I really think it's important for us to spread the good news because it's just too good to keep to ourselves. Mm-hmm. And I think people have such joy in knowing that they can go home and um, maybe even make a little certificate or ask our foundation office for a certificate to give their husband a gift that said I sponsored the birth of a baby in Bethlehem beautiful right or I sponsored the the (laughs) great first communion or a baptism present right yeah all year round it's really just so great and we do have parish programs right now we have a um a giving tree program where we have tags all made up that um you know for it's probably too late for this advent but for next advent to um, contact us and see if your pastor would be willing to incorporate these with your giving tree in your parish.
0: Well, I hope, Michelle, that some of our listeners will look into that and maybe, and and as you say, incorporate it into the parish. What a a wonderful thing. The church on the ground
2: helping Bethlehem (laughs) to to promote. And to please pray for the mothers and the babies and our medical staff and for our foundation that we can do the very best to take care of the babies of Bethlehem.
0: Wonderful, Thank you, Michelle Burke-Beau, the president of the Holy Family Hospital of Bethlehem Foundation. Thank you for joining
2: us, Michelle. It was my pleasure.
0: Every morning, the Catholic Association reviews all the latest news and sends our subscribers a carefully curated collection of the most important news of the day. Items are specifically selected for our smart Catholic audience like you. Don't let the world take you by surprise. Subscribe to our daily media roundup at thecatholicassociation.org. This week, as is customary, Father Roger Landry gives us a short but brilliant homily on this coming Sunday's gospel. Please stay tuned for Father Landry, and do look up his daily homily, written and audio, on his website catholicpreaching.com.
3: This is Father Roger Landry, and it's a joy to have a chance to ponder with you the consequential conversation God wants to have with us this Sunday as we draw closer to Christmas. Human life, as we know, it's difficult to have a meaningful conversation when we don't know the name of the person with whom we're speaking. It's similar with God. God doesn't want us trying to converse with him as some type of cosmic higher power or generic force. Throughout salvation history, we see God revealing his name, he reveals himself to Moses, Yahweh, I am who I am, as well as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob showing how much he wants to have a personal relationship with each of us. This Sunday, we will see revealed the names with which Jesus wants us to relate to him, so that we will be able to call upon the Son of God and have a personal bond with him. Both of these names help us to ground our relationship with the Son of God on what he seeks to do in us. First name we encounter is Emmanuel. Throughout this season, we're singing, O come, O come, Emmanuel. We need to know what we're praying. There's a dramatic scene in Sunday's first reading. Isaiah the prophet goes out to see King Ahaz of Judah during the time when the capital of Judah, Jerusalem, was being sieged by the kingdoms of Israel and Syria. Ahaz is about to make an alliance with the brutal kingdom of Assyria so that the Assyrians would come to liberate Jerusalem. Isaiah goes to tell Ahaz not to seal that alliance, but to have more trust in God than in the Assyrian king. Isaiah told him that God would give him this sign. A virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall name him Emmanuel. Regardless, Ahaz rejected the sign, ignored God's counsel through the prophet, and formed the alliance with the king of Assyria, the first in a cascade of bad choices that eventually led to the destruction of Jerusalem and the Jewish exile. The true and definitive fulfillment of the sign given to Ahaz, however, we see in the gospel. Seven centuries later, in describing the miraculous events of Jesus' conception and birth, St. Matthew wrote, All this took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the Lord through the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. But Jews pondering Isaiah's words never fathomed that the fulfillment would be anything more than the sign of a God who would bear all those attributes. That God would literally fulfill that prophecy in two ways. That a virgin would conceive a child and remain a virgin. And that God with us would actually be God with us. That God would take on our nature and come to abide with us. That he would be descended from David according to the flesh. Sunday second reading. And the very son of God. The fulfillment of this prophecy would not just be a sign that God was on our side, but actually the signified presence of God at our side. This would make the sign announced by Isaiah a sign for all times. God has given us this enduring sign that even when we're experiencing tremendous human difficulty like Ahaz, whenever abandoned, God is with us. God is, of course, with us in many ways, through creation, through grace, through scripture, through his image and others through those he has sent out to act in his very person, through his mystical body, the church. But there's one way above all others by which Christ remains in us. We have to confront with joy the practical consequence of this as we approach Christmas. Jesus truly and substantially present for us in his body and blood. The Eucharist is Emmanuel, God with us. Same God who was in Mary's womb, we receive in our bodies at Holy Communion. Same Jesus whom the wise men traveled such great distances over months to adore. We have the same privilege to worship. And all we have to do is hop in our cars and drive short distances. The question is whether we take that presence of Jesus as seriously as they did, and, or whether we take it for granted. God is with us, but do we make the effort to be with him? Second great name shows us that there's a purpose to God's presence. God with us doesn't come along to leave us where he finds us. He's come to lift us up, literally to raise us from the dead. He was born so that we might be reborn and live a new life with him this is attested to in the name the angel tells saint joseph to give the son of mary you are to name him yeshua this name jesus the greek translation of the hebrew joshua means god saves and the angel tells joseph quite clearly what god through this infant will save the jews from he will save his people from their sins God is with us, therefore, for the purpose of saving us from our sins. The Son of God didn't become God with us merely to hang with us, as the teenage colloquialism goes, but to hang for us. He took on our human nature so that he could give that nature as expiation for your and my faults. And this is something that is constantly in the present tense. Emmanuel means God is with us, not God was with us. Jesus means God saves, not God saved not only does the name Jesus interpret the name Emmanuel, but the name Jesus also makes possible Emmanuel, because Jesus saved us from our sins so that we could be so much more fully with him who came to be with us, because our sins prevent that communion. That's why this Advent it's key for us to let Jesus save us from our sins in the sacrament he founded on Easter Sunday night to do so. Our appreciation for Jesus coming into the world is directly dependent on whether we realize we need him that we're sinners in need of a great Savior, and whether we come to receive the medicine of his mercy in the way he himself established. So we prepare for Christmas, it's not only a time to prepare gifts for others as a tans- tangible expression of our Christian love for them. It's also a time when we focus most on the gift God wants to give us and prepare ourselves to give ourselves to him in return. What gift does the divine birthday boy want from us? He, of course, doesn't need anything material. After all, he created the heavens and the earth. But he wants from us whatever part of us we haven't yet given to him. God didn't give us a sign like he gave Ahaz, but he gave us something greater, an efficacious sign, a sacrament that he instituted to bring about what the sign indicates. God's presence with us in all our difficulties in the Eucharist, and God saving us from our sins in the sacrament of penance and reconciliation. God wants us to receive the two great gifts that he established for us in our salvation, the two gifts corresponding to his two names, the gift of his presence in the Holy Eucharist, Emmanuel, God with us, the gift of his saving forgiveness in the sacrament of penance, Jesus, God saves. Living these two sacraments well will help us to experience the meaning and enduring reality of Christmas. God bless you.
0: Thank you, Father Landry. Unfortunately, it's time to say goodbye. You've been listening to Conversations with Consequences, a service of the Catholic Association. I'm your hostess, Dr. Gracie Christie. I was joined today by my colleague, doctor, um, not doctor, (laughs) lawyer.
1: (laughs) Take me down a peg, please. Although a woman with 10 children is probably pretty close to doctor. There were were some births that didn't have any medical professionals around, but I wouldn't consider myself neither a doctor nor a midwife. If you've been listening on the radio, thank you for
0: listening to Conversations with Consequences on the Guadalupe Radio Network, 11 a.m. on Fridays. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast of our show wherever you get your podcasts. And do review and rate us. It helps other people find us. And thank you so much. We'll be talking to you next week.